You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, Mosaic. <laughs> we'll try that again. Good morning. <laughs> Well, good morning. My name is Terrence Green, and I have the honor of serving here as a deacon at Mosaic. And it it truly is always an honor to be able to share God's word with you. So I am super excited about this message, and I'm really, really believing that it's going to minister to you. So let's pray, and let's get into word, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you right now, Lord God. Lord, I just thank you for your grace. Your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness, so I thank you, Lord, for your strength. I pray that I decrease so that you may increase, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive and to understand your word. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us in a unique and personal and powerful way. Lord, we give you the glory for it in advance, for you doing only what you can do. So I look to you, Lord, and I thank you that you are here, and that I am a co-laborer with you. I lift you up, and you do the drawing. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a sermon series on the book of John over the last few weeks, particularly looking at this idea of Zoe. Everybody say Zoe. This is the God type of abundant life that he came to give us, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 10. And we're continuing in that vein today as we look at John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. When I think about this particular text that we're about to enter into, I'm reminded of this principle in exercise science and resistance training. Um, Thank you, elder. Give it up for the elder. So this is a 10-pound dumbbell, and two things are happening right now. I have the force of gravity that is pushing down on my arm. Everybody say force. I have this negative force that's pushing down on my arm, but I made it a little worse. I added additional 10 pounds of weight that's pushing down. So I've got this negative force that's pushing down on my arm, particularly my bicep. But what I can do is I can lift up and have a a concentric force where I'm now having a positive force push up against that negative force. So you got to get this. My bicep now, he said he's trying to flex up there. No, I ain't trying to flex. (laughs) I'll flex a lot differently, but not with this if I want to flex. All right. (laughs) My bicep now has a negative pressure going down on it, and there's a positive pressure that's coming up on it. So now in this state, my bicep is experiencing tension. Everybody say tension. Tension is the condition where you are in the middle of two opposing forces. And when you're in the middle of two opposing forces, like in this example, the longer I keep my muscle under tension, it's called time under tension, it will begin to produce pain. The reason that my muscle will feel pain is because the fibers of my muscles are breaking. The tension is causing pain, and the pain is causing a breaking. But now here is the thing. It seems so counterintuitive. But 
The longer my muscle is experiencing time under tension, the longer my muscle is experiencing pain, the longer my muscle is experiencing brokenness, it's actually positioned to grow bigger, to grow stronger, and to grow much bigger than I had ever imagined. But the way that it happened is counterintuitive. The strength and the growth were actually produced through a tension that caused pain that caused the breaking. But the reason why I share that with you, because in John chapter 16, we're going to look at what happens when you hold the tensions of one having the force of lamenting, but then on the other hand, holding the force of celebration, when you hold those two concurrently, when you hold those two simultaneously, they create a tension. And that tension can be painful, and that tension can feel like you're being broken. But in that breaking, God could be doing a biggerness. He's creating something big, something vast, something stronger in you. Even in the midst of tension, that's creating pain, that's creating a brokenness. And I sense that there's some people in here that feel like you're in the middle of tension and you feel broken. The Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are of a crushed spirit. So if your spirit is feeling crushed, if you are feeling broken, you're in the right place today, baby. Let's get into the text. In John chapter 16, oh, I'm ready now. John chapter 16, let's understand the context that we're getting in in the text. You got to understand the context because if you, any scripture out of context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. You got to understand the context of what's happening. John chapter 16 picks up in something that biblical scholars call the upper room discourse. Everybody say upper room, upper room. discourse. Jesus, this is his longest, most intimate conversation that he has with his disciples. Jesus talking so long, it go from John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He got a lot to say. Because he's about to go and be crucified. He's about to die, be buried, raised again. So this is his last conversation. It's like, all right, I'm rallying the troops. The general's going to give you the last words, and that's this upper room, upper room discourse. Now, John chapter 14, verse 31, the last verse of that scripture, they are up in the upper room because they're in Jerusalem during Passover. They are celebrating the Passover. It's a good time. Everybody's coming back to Jerusalem. It's a party happening because we're celebrating the commemoration of God delivering his people from Egyptian enslavement. So they celebrate. I mean, they got cool in the gang going, celebrate good time. They got Rick James. No, they ain't got Rick James, but they got... <laughs> I'm sure they have my boy Tupac up in there. Pac is bumping. They excited. It's a celebration. They have been emancipated. But John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus said, let us arise and go from here. So they actually leave the upper room, but Jesus is still talking to them. Most biblical scholars believe that this conversation that we're about to see in John 16 is happening in transit while they're on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So you get the picture? There is dark. They're going to the garden. Jesus is about to, it's some of the most excruciating pain is Jesus and the 11 disciples. Judas has already left to betray him, and he's given them these final last words. If you got me, say, say I'm with you. All right, that's the context. We pick it up in John chapter 16, 
verse number 16. And Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. Everybody say see. And then after a little while, you will see me. Everybody say see. All right, there are six primary Greek words that are translated see into English. And here Jesus uses the word see two different times, and they're two different Greek words. This is important to understand. The first Greek word for see is thereo. That's the best Greek translation y'all gonna get from this brother from the east side of Detroit, all right? I've been working on my Greek too. Some of them are a little better, but. This word literally means to gaze, to analyze, to break down. It is actually where we get our English word theater. So in the Greek, it gives the picture of you are observing and seeing someone up on center stage and you're able to analyze, you're able to behold, you're able to see, you're able to, to gaze at that, whatever's on that stage. But then he uses the word see again. He said, in a little while, you ain't gonna see me no more, but in a little while, you're gonna see me again. This word see that he uses the second time is literally is means to see spiritually, okay? It means to have a spiritual sight that inwardly where you have a spiritual perception and a spiritual discernment where you're now able to see with the spiritual eyes that he has been giving you. So get this, what he's saying. He said, look, brothers, for the last three, three and a half years, I've been on center stage and y'all been watching me, but y'all ain't gonna see that no more. But I'm about to go. But when I come back, y'all gonna see me again. But when y'all see me this time, you gonna see me with a perception. You gonna see me with a discernment like you have never, ever seen me before. And part of it is, look, Jesus like, I'm leaving center stage because I am sending the Holy Ghost to live in you and to lead you and to guide you and the works that I've done, greater works you're going to do because I'm leaving. And when you come back and see me again, you're going to have such a spiritual discernment and insight of who I am that is going to transform you because you're able to see me like you've never seen before. And you can only get this sight if I resurrect. And he did. All right, verse 17. Let's go back into the text. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what this brother talking about? <laughs> In a little while, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And they kept saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. We don't understand what he is saying. Now get this. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, so together they talked about Jesus instead of talking to Jesus. Jesus was right there with them, but they talked about him instead of talking to him. How many times have you not understood something that Jesus has said, but you talked about him but didn't talk to him? I want to submit that if you would talk to him, he'll respond. So here they are like, what are you talking about? And I can imagine they're like, Jesus, you, you, you ain't going nowhere. We've been with you for three, three and a half years. We've literally given up everything we have. Peter's like, I've given up my fishing business. Thomas is like, well, I doubt he's again going nowhere. He's probably going to come back. I don't think he's going to go nowhere. He's like, we give you everything we have. How are you going somewhere? And you're saying in a little while, I, I don't understand. And Jesus meets them right in their misunderstanding. Ooh, ain't this like Jesus? 
when you ain't understanding him, he meets you right there to clarify what he was saying. Look at verse 18. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. Ooh, he saw that they actually wanted to, but they didn't. He can see that there are things you want to ask him about, but you haven't. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are y'all asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you're going to see me no more, then after a little while, you're going to see me? Verse 20. Then Jesus says, the King James says, verily, verily. Some translations say, verily, truly, or truly, truly. Verily, verily, or verily, truly are the Greek words, amen and amen. When the words amen and amen in a Greco-Roman context are used by a speaker, the hearer now knows that what is about to proceed next is something of vital importance. So if the speaker says amen, amen, people's antennas go up like, uh-oh, what the speaker about to say. Look what he says. He says, very truly, or amen, amen, I tell you that you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices you will have grief, but your grief will turn into joy. Once Jesus said that, they said, I'm putting my antennas down. That is not what I want to hear, Jesus, that I got I to gotta weep, I have grief, and I got to mourn. Jesus said, yes, this is what's happening. This word, um, you will weep, is the Greek word that literally means to lament. He says that you will lament, you will lament, you will lament. Well, what is Lament. Lament is a couple of things. Lament, lamenting is a biblical form of therapy. It is a spiritual practice in which it literally means to tell again or to rehearse. So lamenting is talking again and again and again and again and again to God about your pain. Lamenting is also a spiritual posture. It's a positioning, it's a type of a prayer. It's a type of worship where because we're in covenantal relationship with God, we can express the entire gamut of our emotions to him. We can come into this place, but as we do that, lament creates this experience to where we can see God like we've never seen him before in all of our pain, in all of our suffering, in all of our hard times. But we're able to be the authentic selves of who we are in lament. Lament is the place where you can take your questions about the character and the promises of God. Lament is the place where you can take your confusion about the thing that you've experienced in your life. Lament is the place where you can take your bitterness about the church hurt that you've experienced. Lamenting is the place where you can take your disgruntled emotions and your frustration and your anger at God because he said this in his word, but you got a completely different reality in your life is where you can be just completely raw and honest with God with what you're experiencing. And just like with the disciples, he knew they wanted to say something, but how many times do we have lament in our heart, but we don't say it? God don't want to fake you. He already knows it's in your heart, but he's calling us and inviting us into this spiritual posture to where we can be authentic with him. All our pains, the upsets, the failures, why did this happen to my marriage? Or why did this happen to this loved one? Or why did this happen to my child? Or why did this happen to my career? Why, why? You can bring that to the place of laments. 
Because if you don't lament, the enemy will try to use that hard time against you to drive you away from God. Don't stop coming to church. Even when it hurts, don't stop coming. If you like, this ain't the church for me, find another church, but don't stop coming to church because in those hard times, in those painful times, the enemy wants to isolate you. But God is inviting you into a place to lament, baby. Now, I feel like I really, out of all my years of working with God about four and a half years ago, I really experienced lamenting. At that time, my wife and I, we had one child, and we were, we were excited. We were just looking forward to expanding and growing our family. And I never forget, I was laying out on the couch, and for whatever reason, I was stretched out on the couch. I had my hands back like this and my feet up on the couch, laying on it, exactly what I tell our kids not to do. Don't be laying on the couch like that. I'm laying on the couch just like that. Like, stop jumping on this couch. This is not a gymnastics. All right. So I'm laying on the couch, and I'm looking up in the sky. And all of a sudden, my wife comes running out, and she cheesing, too. She got the big Kool-Aid smile. She cheesing from ear to ear. I knew it was some great news that is on the horizon. And she said, I'm pregnant. And we were just overjoyed. We were happy. And what sweetened the deal was that her sister was also pregnant at the same time. So they on the phone like 49 times a day talking about the cousin's going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to be so much fun. What you going to name it? I like that name too. Well, you, we both can't have that name. You know, they going back. So it's a good time. The grandparents excited. We about to have more grandchildren. And so it's all good. We excited. And I'll never forget one Saturday evening. We were in our bedroom. I was laying in the bed. She was in the restroom. And she came out and she said, I got this pain in my stomach. It's like, I don't know what it is. And she's crying. And so we call the doctor. And they said, well, we can't see you until Monday. And um, they said, but we think you may actually be having a miscarriage. We got together, we say, we bind that in the name of Jesus. We prayed, we stayed up all night worshiping. We went downstairs, we took communion. We praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in English. I'm praying and we pray, all the prayers we knew to pray, we pray. I went and got my old cassette tapes out, my healing tapes, so we could listen to the healing scriptures over and over and over and over again. The next day comes a Sunday. We come right down here and we get prayer. We get the prayer of agreement. We're believing God. We're standing. You said in Exodus that none shall miscarry. You said that you've come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. We go to the doctor. And she miscarried the baby. We lost the baby. Now to say that I was disappointed was an understatement. I think the first emotion was just like disbelief. Like, am I in a dream? Like, is this really, really happening? Hold on. You said on this one hand that you, you're a healer and you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals me and all this other abundant life stuff. But over here... We lost our child. And these two opposing forces that created a tension, that created a pain, that crushed us. I mean, I didn't get clinically diagnosed, but I think I fell into a depression. 
I would drive to work every day just crying and crying and crying. And I remember this one particular time, I was coming back from San Antonio. I was on I-35. I'm driving north to go down to UT. I've just crossed over the, 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 the slaughter exit. And then my, disappointed, this, my disappointment turned into disgust with God. I got raw with him that day. I knew enough Bible to knew that God didn't do it. But it's almost like me about to get jumped and my oldest brother standing there with all the power and don't jump in and do nothing. So I'm like, where were you? Where were you? And I'm giving God my resume. All these things I've done for you, I went and preached at the jail. I preached at the college. Couldn't go to no parties because you wanted me to do Bible study. Couldn't have no fun. I gave my life to you when I was 13. Everything you asked me to do, I do. Where were you when I needed you the most? When I prayed, when I sowed my seed, when I believed the blood of Jesus, I confessed it. I listened to your word. And everything that you said is is not what I experienced. Where were you? And in that tension, in that pain, in that crushing, I sense God saying, I've been here the whole time. And I'm just as angry as you are. But that place of lamenting where I was able to be like completely honest with God, to be transparent with God, I felt something happening. I felt like even though the pain was still there, even though the hurt was still there, simultaneously I felt like this other thing was happening on the inside that some mysterious way that my faith was getting stronger because all of my life my faith was predicated on the certainty and I am certain about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But now I had all this ambiguity. I had all these question marks. I had all this uncertainty. But even in the uncertainty, I felt like my faith got stronger. But it came through the place of lamenting, of grieving, of mourning to God. Right in the midst of these seemingly two opposing forces. And my question to you today is what's grieving you? What's causing you to mourn? What's creating tension in your life? What's creating pain in your life? I invite you to lament before God. Why? I want to share three reasons with you why you should lament. Number one, be unfortunately because pain and loss in life are inevitable. I wish I had this secret formula potion that once you got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, you would never have any more challenges, any more pains, any more sorrows. I wish that was the case, but the reality is that is not, that's not the case. But we do have losses in life. We experience it. Yes, we ultimately win. Yes, he causes us to always triumph. But we do, in this physical realm, we experience heartaches. We, we experience grief because we've loved. The pastor Pete um, Sicarzo gives this quote about why is it that we should um, lament. And he says this, we, we should grieve biblically and lament biblically because we lose our youthfulness. We lose our dreams. We lose our routines and our stability and transitions. Most of us, in one or more moments of our lives, experience a catastrophic loss. 
We grieve the many things we can't do, our limits. Finally, we lose our wrong ideas of God and the church. We lose the illusion about this new family of Jesus. And he says, because there's so many losses that we experience, that we should lament and we should grieve to the Father. The second reason why we should lament, because it brings healing. It brings healing. Uh, Christian author, uh, Jeremy Sitter wrote a book called um, A Grace, I forgot the name of the book and can't see it, A Grace Disguised, thank you. But I remember the point of the book. I was trying to be spiritual, I'm like, I can't even see it, I got my glasses on, A Grace Disguised. And in this book, he talks about this catastrophic loss that he experienced, that in one day, he lost three generations of women in his life. His mother, his daughter, and his wife were all fatally killed in a car accident. And he writes about the grief that, 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 that the weight, if you've ever experienced the weightiness of it, it'll actually take you down on the ground. You'll be bawled over crying like a baby, just sobbing and wailing. He talks about that experience. And he says, like in this Western Americanized church context that we have, where lamenting almost seems like a foreign idea. It almost seems like an anti-biblical idea, but it's very scriptural, so much so that the prophet Jeremiah wrote a whole book called Lamenting, Lamentations. It's translated the wailing in, from, in the Septuagint. But he writes about wanting to just get through it so quickly. He gives this analogy of trying to chase the sun, the S-U-N. And he's like, it's, he, he will run west trying to catch, catch that sun so he can get to the light. And no matter how fast he ran to get to the light, he was like, I can't get to it. And he finally asked himself this question. What if instead of trying to run to the light, I reversed and I ran actually into the darkness where my grief, where my pain, where my mourning, and where my hurt is? And what he found was when, that's a paradox of faith. You mean to tell me I'm supposed to run into the place where I've been grieved, the place where I mourn, the place where I hurt. He, he, he ran in there and he said when he ran there, he actually began to see the light in that dark place. He said he actually began to experience healing in that dark place. Why? Because when you are just by yourself and you're just, you know, you're lamenting and you're bitter and you're upset and you're disgusted and you're like, I ain't got nothing to do you get so bitter with the people they, the church they be like how you doing they say blessed why you always gotta say blessed every day ain't blessed you just bitter you just upset you disgusted you confused you don't understand why this is happening but when you go into that place and invite God in that hollow place now turns into a holy place because Jehovah has come to meet those who are of a broken heart and who are of a crushed spirit he said, Moses, this is now holy ground, not just because you're here, but because I am is here. And I don't know what grief you are facing. I don't know what pain you are facing. I don't know what tension you are facing. But when you invite Jehovah in, that hollow ground will become a holy ground. But lamenting, we should lament as well. Because God affirms it. They're like, wait, what? What God? God affirms it. In your Bible, the, the, the original person of lament 
It's a man by the name of Job. And Job lost his health. He lost his family. He lost uh, his reputation. He lost, he lost everything. And there are 30 chapters of Job saying comments like this to God. He says, God, it feels like you've shot me with poison arrows. Plural. It feels like you've slashed open my kidneys. It feels like a storm who has come to break me in two and to crush me into the ground. And this is how Job is talking to God. He say, oh, it's all right. Oh, yes, amen. Oh, yes, amen. No, I feel like you didn't put some poison arrows in me, Jehovah. And Job's friends came to him and said, Job, ah, don't you be talking about God like that. It's your fault. Why you do that, Job? Don't you do that. And God spoke to Job's friends in Job chapter 42. Look what he said to him. He said to him in 42 verse 8 to Job's friends, you have not spoken of me what is right. Or in other words, you ain't spoken to me the right way, but my servant Job has. How did Job speak to him? Because he said Job spoke to him in the right way. Job spoke to him through a lamenting heart with authenticity, with transparency, and with the gamut of his emotions to fall on the ears of a loving God. God ain't scared. I might cuss if I, God ain't scared of you cussing. God ain't scared of you cursing. God ain't scared of you bringing your hurts and your pains and all that to him. Because if you don't, you will try to minimize it through pornography. You'll try to minimize it through drinking. You'll try to minimize it through eating. You'll try to minimize it through false relationships. You in a relationship, you know they ain't no good for you. You try to minimize it through all these other things. It's like this gaping hole that you're trying to feel that you cannot feel. But God is the only one that can feel it through this process of lamenting. All right, so that was point number one. All right. We got a minute and 56 seconds, so y'all finna see a miracle. Good Lord. All right, point number two. We should ask the text, why should we celebrate? Why should we celebrate? All right, let's go back into the text. There's three reasons why we should celebrate. Jesus tells them in John 16, 20, he says, you will grieve, but now watch this. He said, but your grief will be turned into joy. The word grief is the Greek word lupe. Lupe means a heavy, heart-filled sorrow that brings you, it's so heavy it brings you down. That type of grief. But he says, your grief shall be turned into joy. Now, this is interesting. The Greek word for joy is the word hara. Hara is the Greek word that has the same linguistics and etymological roots as the Greek word haris. Haris is the word we, people often translate it as charis, but it means grace. So in other words, grace and joy have the same linguistics and etymological roots. In other words, grace, joy is the awareness of God's grace and favor is this idea of recognizing grace. So in other words, what he's saying, your grief will be turned into joy or in other words, right in the middle of your grief, I will give you an empowerment to recognize that I am here, right here with you, baby. You may still hurt. You may still have the pain. You may still have the questions. But I have a gift, a fruit of the spirit of joy. That is just the grace of God is right here for you. Next um, reason why uh, we should celebrate. Um, 
celebrating is righteous. Let's go back in the text real quickly. Verse 21, he says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that the child is born in the world. Now, I've thankfully been able to watch all three of my children be born, and I can tell you, my wife didn't forget about the pain. <laughs> Child, by that third kid, they had the epidural waiting in the parking lot. We were checking in. They say, here go your epidural right there. <laughs> no, nah, I'm playing. She, but it was a lot different from that first to that third. She didn't forget it. I think what he's trying to say in this text is, even when you're experiencing pain, in the midst of the pain, there could be something glorious that can be happening simultaneously as you're experiencing the pain. And as I, as I think about this scripture, I'm reminded of this quote from uh, Valerie Cora, who wrote this amazing book called See No Stranger, a manifesto and a memoir of radical love. She says, perhaps the darkness that you feel is not the darkness of the tomb, but is the darkness of the womb. And perhaps this darkness that you feel is not a moment of death, but it is a moment of life. And what God is calling you to, calling you to do is to push and to breathe. And I don't know what darkness you're facing tonight, but I believe that you are in a place of a womb and that God will birth something, that God will bring something bigger and stronger that you could have ever imagined. And all you need to do is to breathe and to push, to breathe and to push, to breathe and to push, to to pray until something happens to push because you might have tried to run away from God but he's never run away from you because goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life Woo! hey thank you Jesus Woo! There were days when that tension, it wasn't even in balance. I was so depressed that it was dragging me away here. But it was almost as if like God had this rope on me. Trying to, oh, I got you, buddy. I'm not letting you go back. And I don't know if you feel like God has forgotten about you. But he got a low jack on you. He know right where y'all. All right. Um... Give me two minutes and my last point is, why should we dance in the tensions? All right. What can help us dance in the tension? If we go back to my last, um, to my, ex my example about lifting weights, <clears throat> one of the things that causes you that muscle to grow is not just time under tension, it's also having an adequate and nutritious caloric intake. Yeah. Why? Because once the muscle breaks, you have to have enough protein or nutrients to build the muscle back up stronger than it was before. Yeah. In the same way in the natural where you need the proper caloric intake so the muscle can grow even when you're experiencing tension. The same thing is true spiritually. Even when you're experiencing tension, you need a caloric, an adequate caloric intake of the Word of God. Yeah. So even in the midst of the brokenness, you can grow back stronger. And might I add, you need a good caloric intake of prayer, of worship, and community. 
Because sometimes you need somebody to help because you, you, you lamenting and you need some. See, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. But when you got somebody that's outside the frame, they can speak to you so that you can begin to get the perception that you can't see when you're actually in it. That's why we need community. All right, so Jesus kept the word central to him as he danced in the this, this celebration and the lamenting. All right, um, let's go to um, the first scripture in Matthew. As Jesus is, is going to the cross and he's lamenting. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophet and stones, those who sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's Jesus. He's about to go and be um, crucified and die, and he's quoting the Hebrew scripture of Psalm 118. In the midst of that, he's still keeping the word of God central to him. Let's go to the scripture in Luke. Here is Jesus also in the celebration time. He says, when the hour has come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them. And he said unto them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Again, why is Jesus eating the Passover with them? Because the Hebrew text commanded them to do that. So even in his celebration, even in his lamenting, even in his time where he's about to go to the cross, even during they, they eating the food and having a good time, he still has the word of God as the central caloric intake for his regiment and what he's doing. And the same thing is true for us today. As we experience the tension, as we experience the pain, as we experience the brokenness, we don't forsake the caloric intake of the word of God. Why? Because people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Did y'all get something out of that today? Let's, let's, let's pray real quickly. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength. Lord, thank you. I ask for everybody who's in a hard time. They're experiencing mourning. They're experiencing grieving. Lord, that you would just give us supernatural comfort. Lord, I ask that you will meet people in that place of lamenting in the place of celebration, that you would give a truth that only you can give in the midst of that tension. So Lord, we thank you for it in advance. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.